0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And today we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Timothy. We took a short break over uh, the Semite Conference weekend, and we're going to pick up now um, in chapter 3. And just to give you a brief overview overview of what's been happening uh, in this, uh, what we've been learning in this epistle, is that Paul has wrote to Timothy, and he has told him to go to stay at Ephesus, remain at Ephesus, and tell them to teach no other doctrine. There is false doctrine being promoted, there is endless genealogies and fables being uh, followed after, and the church was um, being attacked by false teachers and people that were in the church already. And so Timothy is being uh, commanded to stop all of that nonsense. And then it goes on to, um, and then in chapter 2, he talks about praying for all men, that men should be lifting up holy hands and praying for all men, all men in authority, all men over us. We should be praying for them. And then he, uh, he also goes into the, uh, the role of women in the church and their functions and their, uh, their, their uh, abilities in the church that women are to remain silent in a church, that they are to learn in submission and uh, not have authority over men. But they also have a unique role as uh, women who can uh, raise up godly men, teaching men, teaching uh, young children, their children, in the ways of the Lord. And uh, today we come to men. We're looking at the role of men in the church and what, they, um, and what their functions and what their um, duties are. And we look at, we're looking at godly leadership in the church and chapter three talks about godly leadership in uh, what as it pertains to elders and also deacons and today we're going to be looking at elders and uh, we look at the qualifications of elders the qualifications that God has for godly leadership when we studied the uh, the teaching of women we focused on that that these these women should have um, character godly character And it's the same that's true for men, too, that men need to be men of godly character. And someone who's in leadership must have excellent godly character. So remember the purpose for the letter. We've talked about this uh, many times. We've uh, brought this up. Uh, But the purpose for the letter, the, the reason this letter has been written, is found in 1 Timothy 3.15. And it says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So Paul is writing to him to tell him that this is how the church should function. This is how it should be. The women should behave this way. The men should behave this way. And this is how God has uh, structured the church and how he wants it to function. And God has appointed elders in his wisdom to be overseers, to, to rule over the church and to shepherd them. And they play a vital and important role in the church. In this passage, he, lands, he, he lays out the, the mandated qualifications of elders. So let's look at the text, uh, chapter uh, 3 in 1 Timothy. And I'm going to read through the whole, ch- the whole uh, section, 1 through 7, of all the qualifications, but we'll only be able to touch on the first uh, two verses. And in the next two weeks, Lord willing, we'll cover the rest of the qualifications by Sam and Jake. So let's look at the text. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in all submission, with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the Church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. So let's begin by looking at verse 1, and let's go through it and, and see what the Lord has to say about elders. It says in verse 1, this is a faithful saying. That phrase, a faithful saying, means that the statement is especially true. It's of noteworthy uh, importance. Take a special look at this statement. It deserves repeating. And it's actually, this, this statement, uh, this is a faithful saying, has, is, there's one of five This is one of five statements that's being used. And three of them are found in 1 Timothy. The other one is found in 2 Timothy. And the last one is found in Titus. And we don't have time to go through each single one of those today, but we'll go through this one today. It's a faithful saying. And these these sayings may have even possibly been repeated in the churches. You can count on these statements. So let's look at the statement today. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. So let's break that down. First of all, I want to say that, let me explain that uh, the word bishop may get you confused and it may trigger something that's not completely accurate. You may be thinking of a person that has a long flowing robe and a pointy hat. And that's more to do with um, what the Catholic Church has taken that word to mean and a man of the clergy. But we're not talking about a bishop in that sense. We're talking about a, an overseer. And that's really what the, the Greek word means, is an overseer. He, is, um, has, the, he has the office of an overseer. And um, that word is also used in Titus. And in the, there's another synonymous or a, a parallel list of qualifications in Titus. And that same Greek word is used, uh, bishop or episkopos um, in the Greek, and it's overseer. And he uses that word interchangeably with the word elder. And so we can say that those two words, bishop, overseer, elder, is actually, they're all synonymous. They're all the same thing. So I'll try to, for the rest of the sermon, I'll try to, be, um, uh, try to use the word elder just to be uh, clear on things. Next it says, it says, if a man desires, if a man, the first qualification is that the man, it must be a man. This position or office in the church is for men only. He must be a male leader. Next, if a man desires, this man must want to be an elder. It shouldn't be something that he does out of compulsion or out of being forced into position uh, or because nobody else is doing it, so I should just do it. He should do it willingly. The word desire is actually used twice in this verse. And I believe that there is an inward desire that the man desires to do the work. He wants to, uh, he looks at the church and he wants to shepherd and to oversee and to uh, take care of the flock to take care of those who are the children of god he has that desire additionally i believe that it's also the holy spirit who places that desire in a man and i believe that's true because it's found in acts 20 28 and it says this take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the holy spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It is part of the work of the Holy Spirit to place a desire in the man to want to be an elder. And it places a burden on them to take up that work. And he also works in the man to be equipped for the work. Any man in the church who desires to shepherd the flock of God, God's people, and meets the qualifications of elder of the elder, the God requirements, can be an elder. Any man who desires the position and meets the qualifications can be an elder. So the position, it says that he desires, if a man desires the position of an elder. So what is an elder? Well, the position involves pastoral care. It involves pastoral care for the flock. It's, it's an illustration of a shepherd watching his sheep. Remember we're talking about leaders over the church of God and God takes this very seriously again we looked at we just looked at Acts 20:28 20, and he says just listen to this phrase shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood Jesus Christ purchased his with his own blood the saints the flock the church believers you guys are all very very precious to God And Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for you and me. And he died to save us from from our sins and from eternity in hell. So he cares very much about our souls, very much about our spiritual well-being. And so that's why he wants to place those in authority over us to shepherd us, to guide us. It's also interesting to note that the scripture emphasizes a plurality of elders. There should be many elders. There shouldn't just be one. There's not, it's not a one-man show. Um, uh, it's, the church isn't run like a company. There isn't a CEO and a, and a board, of, um, board of directors, but it's a... Um, and ma- many churches are run that way, where there are, um, there's one guy and, and there's, uh, there's, there's many people um, one guy over the whole church. And it's a pyramid scheme or a, a pyramid type of uh, um, structure. But that's not the, the way that God has intended it. Many churches um, aren't following the, the biblical pattern for the local church. And, and the reason why I say that is in Acts 20, Paul is talking to the, to the elders. He, he, um, he calls for the elders at Ephesus. And he's calling for the elders, plural, so there's, there's, a, there's a sense that there is multiple elders. In other passages, um, he talks to, when he talks to Titus, he says to appoint elders in the city. Um, and then in uh, James, James also says that if a man is sick, he should, what, call the elders and have them, plural, pray over them. So there, there must be a plurality of elders. And it is, um, it is essential to have that. Second, thirdly, an elder must be qualified. It's a must that he be qualified. The real emphasis on the passage and the, and the qualifications that we're going to look at really have to do with good Christian character. It's the character of a man. It's important that he meets God's standard and not just man's standard. It's interesting to note that uh, in, the, in the list that we read, it's, there's, there's no qualification that he has an IQ of 140, or that he has a bachelor's degree in seminary or in a theological Bible school, or or that he's a a successful businessman or a um, dynamic preacher. None of those are essential qualities or qualifications that an elder must have. But so many churches place such a strong emphasis on those things. But it's plain and simple. God says, this is what my standard is. This is who I want in the office of an elder. We don't need to add extra qualifications to what God has made. <clears throat> so the last part of the faithful saying, he says, um, he desires a good work, a good work. The work of an elder is as a good work. It's a noble work. It's a work that is excellent. An elder is shepherding God's people. And he's, and they are under the care of him. It's an important job, and it's worth. It's worthy of self-sacrifice. It's also important to note that the job, or that the position, is also work. It's not something that's to be taken lightly, or something that, a position that's where you can just sit back and relax. It's hard work. It's not for people who are who are seeking, those people who are seeking a, a place of prominence or a place of status in the church. Or, or to wanting to, um, um, to look, um, to ha- to have a, a position that's um, over one another, but it's there's a heavy responsibility that's placed. It's hard work. It requires devotion and time and energy, and to be uh, emotionally drained and spiritually drained and mentally drained. The job duties of an elder include sleepless nights. Late night counseling sessions, rebuking false teachers, defending the faith, teaching others, showing hospitality, and the list will go on and on. But remember that it is a noble work. And we learned last week, if you weren't here, we talked about uh, Matt gave a message on Galatians 6, 9 through 10. And it it says in there, do not grow weary while doing good. Those of you who aren't elders, encourage the elders here. Encourage those who are laboring for you and laboring after your own soul. You're watching your own soul. They're here for your protection. Honor your elders. And elders, don't grow weary while doing good. But continue to faithfully serve him. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away, as it says in 1 Peter four five four. So before I go into the qualifications of an elder, I want to um, say that it is, is also important to note that elders are to be an example. Elders must be an example to the flock. In 1 Peter 5, 1-4, through it says, "...the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed." Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I said earlier that it's not a place for seeking prominence or for your own selfish desires. Peter says that the elders are there to serve the flock of God. It isn't out of compulsion. They should do it willingly. Overseers aren't to lord it over, them, over, over, over the saints, but they are to be an example. Elders are to be an example so that we can follow. And God sets a standard of godly character here in this list of qualifications for elders to have so that they might be an example to us on what godly characters looks like. They are a living example, and that we should imitate them as they imitate Christ. Before we go into the, the, uh, the qualifications, I don't want you to check out and say, well, this message isn't for me. I, I don't have any desire to be an elder. I never will. Or I'm, I'm a woman, I can't be an elder, so I can just go ahead and sleep. Well, I, I want you to stay with me for a few reasons. A few reasons. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should... Stay in there. It's important that we know these qualifications. It's important to know these qualifications. It's important that we know because we must hold leaders accountable to them. We must be able to recognize and observe whether someone is qualified or not. And there are so many churches out there that have unqualified men in leadership that don't even know what the, the qualifications are for an elder so we must know them and be able to recognize them. And if we have someone that desires to be an elder, how do we know if that man is qualified? Let me give you an example. If you were working for a company, say you were working for a large art organization and it was an accounting firm, and you were in charge of hiring. You were a hiring manager and this was the first time your boss came to you and said, "I want you to hire an accountant." And you've never done it before. He says, "Go out and hire somebody and you pick the best guy." But I'm not going and he doesn't give you any reasons or any qualifications of what that man or woman must have. Well, how are you going to know what, who to pick when you hire for somebody? Don't you want to know who, what the qualifications are for the job? Don't you want to know if, the, if that person meets those qualifications by getting to know them? It's the same way we must be able to, we must know what the qualifications are so that we're not just picking someone who looks nice or best, dress the best, or that someone who talks the most eloquent, or has the, you know, the, bit, the the is the most smooth-talking person. That's not who we're looking for. We're looking, we're looking at God's standard. We want God's standard, and um, a man in the leadership that is uh, based on that. Secondly, second reason why you should stick here, stick around, is that believers, we should all seek to aspire to these quali- to these qualities. We should all be seeking to aspire to these qualities. It isn't an exclusive list. This isn't for the spiritually elite or the um, the super Christians. This is these are God's standards of character for everyone in the church, men and women. You see, many principles, many of these principles are repeated throughout the New Testament. Look at hospitality, and hospitality is um, all of us are are supposed to be um, able to, to provide hospitality to others. We all should be blameless. An elder must have these qualifications, and saints we we should also aspire to have these as well. Remember elders are a living example, a spiritual example to believers, and he puts them in our place for us to imitate and if we if we lower the standard and and say that it, you know, this is you no. Know, that qualification doesn't really apply today. That one doesn't apply. We basically lower God's standard, and if we have men in leadership that are of lower standard, then what does it say about us? We are only going to attain to as high as those who are above us and those are in leadership above us. Thirdly, as we go, as we go through this list, I want you to ask yourself, how am I doing in that area? How am I doing? Do I I desire to grow? Do I earnestly desire to and honestly desire to change in that area? Honestly ask yourself these questions and and, uh, reflect on your life. If you recognize an area you're weak in, ask God to help you in that area and to grow and to mature. Remember this, that godliness takes time. Godliness takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And it takes time to spiritually mature. Later in this, later in this uh, letter to Timothy, Paul says, exercise yourself towards godliness. It takes time. You, you, don't, you don't become a macho man after exercising one time. It takes time to, to, to exercise and to grow and to mature. And lastly, young men who are here, older men, any men here, You may be sitting here and thinking, you know what? I really do desire to be an elder. I really want to shepherd God's people. I have that desire, that burning desire to to lead his people. Well, I'll tell you this. You desire a good work. You desire a good work. and Now look at these qualifications and honestly think, do you meet these qualifications? And now is the time to be working. It doesn't magically happen when you turn the age of 50 or that you become, uh, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen by age. So honestly, look at these qualifications and see how how you're doing on these. So let's look at the first one. Chapter 2 uh, verse 2. A bishop or an elder then must be blameless. He must be blameless. This is the first on the list. This is on top of the list. And not only is on the fir- not only is the first, it's a must. Blameless is an essential and critical aspect of moral character for for a man. In a parallel passage in Titus, this is also first on the list, blameless. Man must be blameless. And it's also listed um, twice. It's repeated again that he must be blameless in that that passage. And and blameless is really the the overarching theme. It's kind of the the category or the main principle that, that each of the following... Um, each of the following character qualities, all the qualifications below it, fall into. They, if a man is blameless, he'll be the husband of one wife. And, and so on and so forth. So it's, um, it's, it's, the, it's the general, um, the statement for that. Blameless really literally, literally means one who is above reproach. It means above reproach. And that means that there's really no criticism, no charge that can be placed against someone, against that man. It doesn't mean that he is sinless. If, it was, if that was true, then none of us would be qualified. But it means that um, his life is free from sinful habits. There isn't any outstanding, any blatant, obvious sin in his life. It also holds that the, the idea that if he's done something wrong, if he's wronged somebody... And he's quick to repent. He's quick to uh, ask for forgiveness. He's a man who fears the Lord and follows the Lord. He's, he's also blameless before God. He's blameless before God and man, before all, all men. And Job was a man that was blameless. He was a man who was a blameless man. It says in Job 1, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. We have a good example to, to look at as, um, as one who is blameless. A blameless man also has a good reputation among Christians and non-Christians. And you ask yourself, am I blameless in my life? Am I blameless? Is there, is there anything in my life that I am trying to hide or try to sweep under the rug that I don't want anybody knowing about? You think of the, and one of the qualifications later on, it is a man who is given to hospitality. And that's opening up your home to, to, for everyone to see. Is there anything that you wouldn't want people knowing about, about your life? Is there anybody that you've offended that you haven't made right, that you haven't asked for forgiveness, that you refuse to? If there is, you should make it right. You should make it right today. Next qualification is uh, the husband of one wife. And this, this uh, one qualification has actually been um, the subject of a lot of debate Been highly debated, and uh, but I wanted I wanted to uh, to to go through a few of those and and, uh, show you what uh, the uh, the correct uh, application interpretation of this if this is um, the husband of one wife you know the first question people would ask is does it mean that an elder must be married does that mean that he must be married and if, if that were a requirement then it would also be, um, in Paul's teaching to, um, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about that there is an advantage of, being, of singleness. And that a man who is single can actually, that has the gift of singleness, can actually be more effective in his service to the Lord and in, in devotion because he's spending and focusing all of his time and energy on serving the Lord and not being distracted by um, having a wife. And... He says that it is, is more commendable to be to be unmarried than married <clears throat> but this can 't be what Paul is teaching here, and the truth is that it is, is that it is, it is more common it is common that men are married and that men have children and I, I believe that it would be preferred that a man is married because of the uh, the, the matter that is handled as an elder they're, they're dealing with personal lives they're dealing with married couples, and the intimate uh, the intimate um, issues that surround that, and a man that is, has that experience being married can definitely um, benefit the assembly in that sense. So it is preferred to be married. Another interpretation is that this this statement is actually pro- prohibiting polygamy. And now I, I would say that um, I don't believe that's the sole purpose of this passage or this phrase, but. I would definitely say that it could be re-emphasized that it is prohibited polygamy. Obviously, someone who is a polygamist can't be an elder. And it is clear in other scripture that, it isn't, that polygamy is also wrong. It's sin. Others interpret this phrase that the husband of one wife means that he can only be married once in his lifetime so that if his wife dies, he is not able to remarry. Then he would be disqualified. But... It also goes against other um, passages in Scripture which um, talk about um, remarriage. And um, later on it talks about widows who are able to remarry. Um, and if a man remarries after his wife dies, he would still be the husband of one wife because marriage is dissolved um, after, after death. Another question that comes up is, is an elder disqualified If he's divorced. Divorce is probably one of the um, one of the more touchy subjects and it would probably be a disqualification in this area, especially divorce that is outside the biblical grounds for divorce. Uh, This issue kind of becomes very complex and um, and confusing and must be based off of the scripture, off of the scripture as a whole and um, as it relates to divorce and remarriage. And it's hard to go into each specific thing and the more you get into it, the more questions arise. And it's, um, it's hard to give a definite answer. But in most cases, it would be unwise for a man that is divorced to be an elder. Because divorce has such a huge impact on all parties involved. On the children, on the wife, on the husband, um, and all those around. However, this doesn't mean that a man who is divorced is completely useless for the Lord. A man can be still greatly used in countless ways to serve the Lord in the church. But what I would what I would like to say is that I believe that uh, this area has to do with being blameless in your marital life. He is above reproach in his um, marital life and his sexual life. In both lists, both lists, the husband of one wife is right after blameless, it is the first one, and is probably the one that is most of most. Um, uh, highest importance, I think this less, has less to do with his marital status and more to do with his moral status. Is he... Um, well, the, the phrase actually means, the husband, of one, the husband of one wife actually means, literally means, a one-woman man. He's a one-woman man. And it has to do with, is he faithful to his wife? Is he devoted and completely... Um, is he, does he cherish his wife, love his wife, Um, Is he faithful in his actions and his deeds and his thoughts towards his wife? He should also be one that exhibits an exemplary marriage for others to follow. He is faithful to his wife. He isn't involved in emotional affairs or in uh, adultery or watching pornography or fantasizing about other women. He is faithful to the one who he made a promise to for the rest of his life. And in a lot of today's society, there's a distorted view on marriage. I want to say that, I want to add that it doesn't include, that this doesn't include any marriage that society deems as marriage. Same-sex marriage would definitely be prohibited, and the marriage is based off of the biblical standard of marriage, not of the world standard for marriage, or what the Supreme Court says is marriage. This would also exclude any type of sexual deviations or any sexual, um, from, a, from a regular faithful monogamous marriage. So that would include polygamy, or bigamy, or uh, homosexuality, or adultery, or any other kind of questionable sexual relationships. The next, the, um, the next qualification is temperate. He must be temperate. And this means that he's self-controlled or restrained. Self-re- he shows self-restraint. And in the Greek, it means wineless. Uh, one who is uh, wineless, but uh, in, this, in this passage, it, it really refers to his mental sobriety, that he is clear-headed. He doesn't take things into excess, so he doesn't take things like food and drink to an excess. He is also, um, his, his thinking is clear, and he can, um, he can think clearly on, on matters that are of importance and, and uh, issue correct judgment, clear judgment. He isn't being polluted by other things. It is necessary that an elder be emotionally, mentally, and spiritually stable, because they they face many difficult situations and must have a clear head. It also holds the view of, or also kind of means that he's not an extremist on his views doctrinally. He doesn't go to one extreme or the other, and he doesn't consume. He's not consumed by. Um, doctrinally extreme views where he uh, majors on the minors, uh, simple issues that consume him, and then, and then it consumes his whole, his whole life and his whole um, attitude. And that's one of the safeguards of actually having a plural, plural, uh, plurality of elders uh, in order to keep a well balanced, um, uh, instead of extreme doctrinal views. And self control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. As, um, and is very important in the Christian life. Next, he must be sober-minded. And this, this is a very similar word to uh, temperate, but he is sober-minded. This also carries the idea that he is self-controlled, he exercises good judgment, and is sensible. It means that he isn't a person that, um, this person must be, he must take the areas of life, the issues of life, and let the matters of eternity Seriously, he isn't a jokester, and he isn't always wanting to get the last laugh in. For some people, everything is a joke to them, and nothing is serious. They use jokes to make light of serious issues, and instead um, treat them instead of treating them with the proper respect. And we shouldn't laugh or joke about sin. It is it is serious to God. And it should be serious to us. You know, our conversation should also be filled with encouragement, with um, instructing, with building up one another. Instead of tearing each other down, elders deal with very serious issues and a lot of personal matters, and an elder must take things seriously and fear the Lord. Next is a good behavior of good behavior. And this, this really means that he is respectable. He's, he has a well, well-ordered life as well, and he is honorable in his behavior, his conduct toward others. He is well-behaved, good-behaved, he uh, good pro- has good and proper behavior. Um, in his whole life, he is ordered and disciplined in all areas of his life. His personal life, his marriage, his life at work, life at home. He's a man who is respectable, one who someone can look up to. People must be able to respect him. An elder can't expect someone to follow him if he isn't respected. If he's not respectable by others. Next, uh, an elder must be hospitable. An elder must be hospitable. And hospitality is actually showing love to strangers. It's showing love to um, those who uh, are on the outside. It's showing love to, uh, to all. But it, it's showing genuine Christian love to all people. And a person who is hospitable opens up his home and his uh, life to, to believers and unbelievers alike, their home becomes a welcoming environment for people to come uh, to have a meal, to enjoy fellowship, to spend the night. And he opens up his, his life and his, his uh, home for all to see. And it's on display. And any, anything in his life um, is, is, on, is on display. How he treats his others, how he treats his wife, how he treats his children, how well-ordered his, his house is. It's, important. it's an important ministry that we all should be involved in. We should all be involved in this. Um, and it's a perfect way to show love to visitors who are visiting the church for, for the first time. Today we have a perfect example. And so visitors, I hope you aren't left out today. There is a, a tremendous opportunity for showing kindness. And people remember that kindness. People remember that, that kindness. Um, it, is, it, is a, it is a great ministry. And for an elder, it's, it's a great way for them to get to know people, to get to know the saints and to counsel them and to, to lead them and to show them and instruct them in the word of God. Hospitality should also be gospel oriented. should be, um, see, We should be doing it with the purpose of seeking those who don't know the Lord. We should be seeking the lost, showing the love of Christ and opening your life Open your home to share your life with them, and you can share what's most important to you. You can share what's most important to you, your Savior Jesus Christ. And many have used their homes to have Bible studies, to have prayer meetings, even the beginning of this church started in the home of Howard Ormsby. Believers, it says that in Romans 12:13. That we should be distributing to the needs of the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. We should also enjoy doing hospitality too. We shouldn't do it without with grumbling. It says, um, it, says that, it says that we shouldn't uh, we should show be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And hospitality should also be shown to those who we don't know, who can't repay us back. Jesus said in Luke twelve, he said. Luke fourteen that we should uh, that when we have dinner or supper we call we call our friends and we call our um, the relatives and those who can repay us don 't call those people call the people who are lame and maimed and, and sick the homeless those who people who can 't repay you have those people over and show them love and and some have even entertained strangers by entertaining strangers have entertained angels unknowingly next is the uh, is being able to teach. An elder must be able to teach. It means that he must have a good, thorough understanding of the word of God. He must know how to apply the word of God to counsel those who um, need counseling. Um, he must be able to explain the will of God. In 1 Peter 5, 2, it says that he must be able to feed the flock. With the growing number of false teachers, false religions, and, and all the foolish talking, we've seen in the, um, in the book of Ephesians, or in um, Timothy, it's imperative to know the word of God. We must know the, God, the word of God inside and out. In Titus 1, 9 through 16, elders must hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. And the reason why is um, explained later on. It says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. There's a, there are those who are teaching the opposite, the opposite of the truth. So others must be able to recognize that and, and teach the truth, to be able to recognize it and rebuke those, those teachers and stop those, those, people's, those men's mouths. <clears throat> they must be able to teach... Um, Being able to teach also means that you must be spending time in God's Word. He must be a good student of the Bible. He must be studious, taking the time to know all areas of Scripture. He is disciplined in his study of the Word of God. He loves the Word of God. This doesn't require that the the elder has a gift of teaching. It doesn't mean that he has to be an eloquent, dynamic preacher. But he does have to understand and have a deep understanding of the Word of God. And and know how to go to the Word of God on an issue instead of going to his own uh, personal experience or his own thoughts on it. He goes, let's look at the Word of God and what He says about the matter. It's not his own opinion, but it's God's. In Second Timothy three sixteen, it says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. As a shepherd, an elder must be able to exhort, encourage, rebuke, instruct believers in the word of God. Saints, how well do you know your Bible? How disciplined are you in studying the word of God and understanding the scripture for yourself, not just reading the Bible, but understanding what the word of God says and applying it to your life. The Word of God is sufficient. It is able to equip us. It is able to equip us for every good work. That means that you must be studying, must be reading, meditating, memorizing the Word of God, and obeying the Word of God in your own life. So we come to the end of the the last uh, of verse two, and those are the first seven qualifications of of an elder. And we see that God requires an elder to be a man of godly character. He must be blameless in all of his areas of his life. This is God's order for church leadership. And um, God has placed elders over us to watch over us. And as we look at the tremendous task that God has placed on elders and entrusted them, we ought to think soberly about their job. As believers, we should remember the elders, we shouldn't take lightly what they do. Don't forget to pray for them every day as they have a tremendous amount of responsibility. Paul says later in this letter, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word, of, word and doctrine. The elders here at Calvary have labored tirelessly for many years in teaching and preaching and counseling and rebuking and, and all of the... Um, all of the work, they have worked hard. We should encourage them and support our elders here at Calvary. As believers, we are also called to submit to our elders. We, are, we must be able to follow them willingly and to heed their counsel. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this. It says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Elders are accountable to God for this. And they have to give an account to God for uh, each and every one of us in the church. Let them do their job joyfully. You don't want them to, when when they're talking to, giving an account before God and God says, what about Luke? Well, you know, he was a tough one. He didn't listen to anything I said. You know, submit to your elders and follow them. You know, I really love the, really love the illustration of, a, of the, the shepherd tending and caring for his sheep. The shepherd loves his sheep and watches over them. And he, he can call them by name and they follow him. He cares for the sheep and protects them from the thieves, from the robbers, from the wolves, from attack. Who is the head of the church? Who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ is, Yes. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. In Ephesians it says that it really shows the care that Jesus has for his church. It says Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present to her that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. Um, Jesus has placed elders over us to feed us, to tend to our needs and to care for us, to be examples and to steer us away from sin. They are examples of holy conduct that we should follow and that we should aspire to be. And Jesus is also the good shepherd. It says in John 11, 10, 11, it says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus laid down his life for us. He sacrificed his life for us on the cross that we might have eternal life. Jesus purchased us with his own blood. We are not our own. Through his death on the cross and the shedding of blood, Jesus made made the way for salvation. Those who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved and are added to the church of God. Earlier in that passage in John, it says, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have life more abundantly. The invitation for salvation is here. And for you that don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, Here's your invitation to come. Jesus is the only way of salvation. You can't come to God any way but through Jesus Christ. And he has provided the way through his sacrificial death. Put your trust in Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the clear instruction that you give to us. Lord, we pray for our elders of the church that you would strengthen them encourage them and help them as they carry a heavy burden lord we thank you for placing elders over us to watch over us and to to care and for our needs lord and lord we pray that we would also take to heart these these character qualities that should be true of us as well lord that we should um, examine our own life and lord pray i pray that we would earnestly seek to be more and more like you to be more Christ-like. We pray that, you would, that we would remember that, you, that the, the cost that you took, that you went to the cross and died for us, Lord, that you purchased with us with your own blood. We're not our own. We should live our lives holy and blameless before you. Lord, we pray that you would develop us, uh, mold us into your image. We pray that you would help us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.